0: Yahweh, again, the opportunity that you give to me to bless others through the sharing of your truth, your knowledge and your wisdom, Father God. And as the conduit for that, Father God, you bless me so mightily. Yahweh, Yahweh, Aman. Yeshua, Aman. Aman. So we're going to take another jaunt out into the desert lands. We're going in history again. And we're going to return to the Valley of Dry Bones. And we found that, I shared that with you in um, Ezekiel chapter 37, which is a very powerful and important chapter. And it speaks to us directly to what we... Declare and what we are, and I shared with you before that that's kind of an old, it's an old, um, an old saying, an adage, a phrase that was put together. Some old folks, you know, oh come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, come on, grandpa, come on, uncle, so and so, and or whatever, and then the phrase come back said, oh, these bones are just all dried up. I I I can't do that, you know, if you we're gonna go fishing or or on a trip or something, and you were excited as young a person. I remember a couple times that I had done that with, uh, with my uncle um, and uh, these old bones are just dried up. Meaning that they didn't have the energy or the strength or the excitement to be able to do this little trip that we were planning or going on and they didn't feel to be included. And when God is speaking to, and here's another example that God does speak, you just need to listen. God spoke many times to Moses, and the scriptures say, and God said, and God spoke, the Lord said, the Lord spoke. And here we find the same example in Ezekiel when he's speaking to his prophet And remember what I shared with you, that a prophet is, anyone can be a prophet. You don't have to go to a special school. You don't have to go to special training. So any of those churches or church elders that are declaring to you that you have to go to special school or their special training, you have to be certified by their hand to be a prophet. They are usurping the authority of the Lord God Almighty because you do not have to have any of that. The, the only requirement for being a prophet is that you listen intently and lean in to the word of God. And when he speaks directly to you, for you to message to someone else that you do that very thing he told you to do. You don't make a production about it, go marching down the aisle, you know, with a bass drum falling and the symbols in front of you, and flags and such and such, and say, I come with a word from God. That's not a prophet. That is an arrogant, vain fool. You take the word of God with you. You come to the specific person, unless, of course, the God directs you to speak to the congregation. But when the God when god the god when our god tells you to speak to a person and take the message to them you go to that person and you say i i have something i need to share with you and then as you speak the holy spirit will illuminate your speech and illuminate in their mind's eye that this is coming from god it will be made known that is a prophet don't need to have any kind of special church training to be a prophet. And I get rattled and agitated when I'm hearing more and more that you you can't go and witness. You can't go until you go and you get certified by class. The elders got to sign off and say it's okay. Well, you know what? That's a bunch of garbage. And that is untruth. It's false doctrine and false teaching. So be cautious. When you hear them starting to say things like that, it's time to go. Now, I digress. Back to Ezekiel 37. You remember when Ezekiel came, when the Spirit brought him into the Valley of Dry Bones? Again, that that Valley of Dry Bones was not a literal valley full of dry bones with no sinew or no, and it was the nation, the people, had just given up. They weren't doing God's direction, they weren't following God's word, they weren't listening to any of the elders, they weren't following any of the directives. So pretty much they just stopped. Turned their back on God. Kind of like what this country is doing to God now. Remember, I I hit this all the time and I can't I can't not. I'm a veteran I'm a patriot. I serve this country, and it breaks my heart that this country, at one time, used to be one nation under God, and worked hard at being that, and and much harder at it than what they're doing now. And now this country is just being cut up and given away, and and spread apart. Mm. I have to share this. When Jonah was being sent, and remember I shared the scripture, when God sent a vehement mighty wind from the east, wow, that wind came in and it was hot. It was so hot that Jonah passed out. The wind from the east has come. And do not question when God is taking care and doing what must be done. It may not always fit our perspective, or be what we like, or what we love, but you have to remember that when God, and the word speaks this in many places, when God chastises, he does so because he loves us. A good, good father, which many parents have turned away from this, a good parent will chastise their child. They will encourage to uplift them, and that chastisement, or that Corrective, the correcting is to make sure that they stay on the right path in the right direction. Might not like it, but it's done out of love. It's not done just to be mean. So keep that in under advisement. And if you look around and you see many of these things are happening, where is this coming from? That vehement wind that comes from the east. that wind that comes from the east and you can find in the book that God gave us you can find references to this and you will find that the word of God talks about Gog and Magog the sons of the north and the sons of the east it's there So, back to Ezekiel. You will find that these bones that Ezekiel was shown and taken to, this is the nation of Israel because they gave up and they stopped listening to God and they turned their back on God and they just stopped. And when you just stop doing or you stop Any activity and I'm finding that (laughs) I'm finding uh, that I'm actually appreciative of the fact that the Holy Spirit rouses me early in the day. Get me up to go. Further reading, starting at verse 11. And Ezekiel is talking about and writing about he the Lord and God speaking to me. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Let me clarify what he just said there. God speaking to Ezekiel, the nation turned their back. They've given up hope. They've surrendered. They just turned their back on God, which is their hope, which is that golden rope. Remember I shared with you when I first found this logo in the purple square, which is denotes royalty and the golden cord, that golden rope. And in the Bible, it talks about our golden rope, our anchor to the rock, tying us to heaven. There's always hope, brothers and sisters. But our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. God didn't turn his back on them. They turned their back on God we are cut off for our part, saying that, yeah, we did it. We just don't know what to do. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your graves, O oh, my people, and brought you up out of your graves, now, this is interesting because one of these contemporary young artists I've shared with you talking about. Um, make sure I get um, ah your glorious day. And as he's singing the song, he's, he's his declaration is that I was breathing, but I wasn't alive. These people were breathing, but they weren't alive. They had given up hope. They turned and they just were kind of, as I see many that do today, they head down, shoulders slumped, hunched over, no smile, no recognition of brothers and sisters, and no acknowledgement that they're in the house of God. They just, a dour, sour look on their face as if they're gone before at the The cupbearer comes before the king in his dour, sour look. Oh, what's your problem? Well, oh, I just have given up hope. I don't have any hope. I don't, seriously, remember Act of Circes asked Nehemiah, he says, I recognize, didn't say it exactly that way. Of course, I paraphrase. He didn't say, what's your problem? He just recognized that his countenance was different than it normally is. He recognized, he saw it. So you don't think that people, when you come in <clears throat> with that veiled face, which is exactly what it's doing, it says, and we are told in the word of God, do not fill your face. Do not be ashamed of the word of God. When you come in and you have that sour, dour look and you have that, you're wearing a veil. You're showing out to be something that's not there or shouldn't be there, but you're allowing it. And you have this really, quite honestly, very poor countenance and you are not, you are showing that you have no joy in the Lord. Joy of the Lord is my strength. And you're allowing things to come in and tear you up. Further reading, I'm going to go back to verse 13. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Then ye shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it," saith the Lord. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, "Moreover, thou son of man, take the one stick. Now here's here's where I shared with you in unity. What we were, uh, Pastor Jamie was talking about unity, and he was sharing unto John and Acts and and the the New Testament. All this, but. In the rule of faith, I've gone back toward the Old Testament and gone the old ways. Because in the rule of faith, we are told to follow that. And you go from the front cover to the back cover to the back cover to the front cover. And I've shared with you before, and I'm going to just demonstrate that again, that the word of God is interwoven throughout. So as... Pastor Jamie was sharing out of John and Acts and Revelation and uh, Matthew, and he was sharing scripture from there about unity. Hear what I say. Hear these words and listen to the truth of God. Moreover, thou said a man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah, for the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, for all the house of Israel, his companions, and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thy hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? saith unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them with him even with the stick of Judah and make them one stick and they shall be one in mine hand and the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hand before their eyes. The word unity. Unity together as one. And this is a problem that... uh, Israel used to have in their history, seemingly continually, they had um, the different tribes. They had the 12 tribes and they were uh, went to their area, respective regions and and, uh, they had their kings, but they didn't really have a king. They had judges and they would kind of come in when there was a little dissension and it always seemed like they were having that. They were arguing over something—the pasture land or water—something, fussing and fuming. And they cried out for unity to be one. So then they, they had a king. And there were still some issues going on, but they wanted a king. They cried for a king, and they put the king there, and still fussed about it, which is seems to be pretty normal thing for them to do, always fussing about them, God gives them food, He gives them heavenly bread, He gives them guidance, He guides them at night, He he guards over them day and night, and they still whine and cry, which is not, not what we do. Indeed we do. But here's the thing that's important, before you lay yourself down out there in that valley of dry bones, I'm gonna read to you again Ezekiel 37, verse 11. Then he said unto the son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Their hope wasn't lost. They just gave up. Do we not do the same thing? Yes, we do. We do the very same thing. Oh, woe is me. Wah, wah, wah. And just like it says there, we are cut off for our parts. Just like when they went into the promised land. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. We are cut off for our part. We have decided that we have no hope. We have decided that we just can't do this anymore. We are going to lay around and just bleach in the sun. The word of God told his prophet, you tell the nation that's snap out of it, wake up, and you breathe into them, breathe into them. The word of God. And when he prophesied, they were waking up. And this is what, this is what God is telling them. He quickened them. Remember I shared that word quickening? Has nothing to do with speed. He restored to them, stirred up, roused them, revived them, brought new life. The Holy Spirit. There's a Hebrew phrase, ruach Elohim, interpreted as the breath of God, but more literally the wind of the eternal creator. Whenever we find scriptures in the Bible and it speaks to winds, You must hold on to the the interpretations. That's the breath of God, his Holy Spirit. And we see that in a number of times. When the locusts came to Egypt, I shared this with you before. When the locusts came in, the wind of change came and it came from the east. Hmm. Interesting. Locusts came in and were devouring everything. Do you not see that happening in this country now? Coming from the east and devouring everything, taking up industry, taking up so many things and becoming so numbered. And remember that before the locust came into Egypt is that the wind changed direction and it was coming from the east and it blew all day, all day long, coming, warm, hot, coming from the east, an easterly wind. And remember, whatever you say, westerly wind, easterly wind, northerly wind, southerly wind, that's not the direction that it's traveling to, that's the direction it's coming from. So when you say an easterly wind, or you find that in the scripture sometimes, an easterly wind, blew hot. It's talking, that's the direction it came from. And usually interpreted in scripture that the east wind is the wind of change. And when the east wind comes, it comes as a um, avenging wind. The wind from the west usually came from the sea was gentler. Smelled fresher, was different. However, so in Egypt, back to the locusts, the wind blew Easterly, from the east into the land of Egypt and it blew all day long and all night long and then in the morning, behold the locusts and they came in and they ate everything they could get to, everything. I remember in those days, they didn't have windows, they didn't have doors as we know them today and there's always some way of entering and getting into a house which they did, they went and they fed on everything they could get onto, fruits and vegetables and things that were in bowls and storage within the house. They came in and they ate, and the crops they ate, and they devoured. And then God heard Moses cried out to him because Pharaoh cried out to Moses. God said, okay, I'll do this. And then the westerly wind came. And the locusts were gone all the way out. They were blown all the way out into the sea. The scripture says, and there was not a locust left in the land and on the coast of Egypt. They were gone, all gone. The wind of the eternal creator, (laughs) Elohim, the breath of God. Brothers and sisters, Ezekiel prophesied to the nation and land of Israel. And he was speaking about not only to come up and they had given up hope and not to, but God also had him instruct the nation of unity to be together. And this is what he's talking about the sticks. he had, They were separated. And at that time you had Ephraim and then Judah. But he brought them together and, and in that demonstration that God had Ezekiel for the nation to show them of unity, togetherness, one stick. Brothers and sisters, we do that in Matthew, John, Revelation, and the scriptures that Jamie was sharing with us on Sunday and teaching about unity. And Jesus explains to us being of one mind, one spirit. Paul writes about it, be of one mind, one spirit, that you're unified in this. And Peter shares it and writes about it. Brothers and sisters, this is what we need to do. But with things going on the way they are, don't just throw yourself down and give up. Um, In my reading, have um, some of you, I I suspect, again, I'm gonna pick on the millennials because it just seems that they're, some of these phrases I share are old old words and old terms because I'm an old guy, so, give that a rest, but I'm going to pick on the millennials because I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think that they've ever heard the term maelstrom. And some of you that are even my age may not have heard it. And I, I had heard of this term before, and I have a vague idea what it is, but in, in reading about this maelstrom, it's really, um, it's something to behold. And if you've ever encountered one, it's, um, it can be very frightening actually. It could be absolutely terrifying. And they used to appear in the ocean sometimes. Um, and it's, uh, a maelstrom is actually a very large whirlpool. It's, I mean, it can swallow a ship but it's not just kind of a gentle swirling around like the draining of a bathtub. It isn't like that. It's very violent, very frightening. And the waves of the sea are involved. And I mean, you have this huge, giant drain open up in the middle of the ocean. You're out in the middle of the ocean. Where'd this come from? And it just is going around, and ships can be taken down. It happens. They've discovered that these things open up. They have one. Uh, there's one. Uh, believe off the coast of Norway that opens up every once in a while. Not. They don't exactly know where it comes. And here's the thing that I was sharing the other day with you. I got to. Sorry, getting a little misdirected, but I got to do this. So here you have these know it no more than everybody else does, but yet they can't exactly explain a maelstrom Where it's coming from, what caused it, and where it comes from. But they just know where it's at. So they tell you, be careful when you go out around Norway and you go out in this certain area that you have this thing show up and you're going to get sucked down and and disappear into the ocean. Well, Where'd it come from? What caused it? They don't know. <laughs> These are scientists. These are... These are those that know so much more than everybody else. But anyway, a can be very violent and swirls around. And sometimes things that go on around us in our walk, and as I shared with you with Elisha when he went up on the side of the mountain, when God told him to go out there, he should go on the face side of the mountain, and he went out there, and you had he had thunder and lightning, you had earthquake, you had the heavy winds, you had the heavy rains, and you had all this. Sh- storming and blowing and all these things were going on around him and he couldn't hear anything. He couldn't pay attention. He was trying to shield his face from the pelting rain and the hail and the, the wind. And when he went back into the cave and kind of shook all the weather off and stopped for a minute, and then he heard it. That's still small voice. God was still talking to him. God was still there. was still there just hard to hear out in the midst of all that, so in our day in our daily walk that sometimes the events will come so abruptly, so violently that we're caught up in the maelstrom of the- that that stormy agitation, and you can't hear you can't figure it out you just don't know which direction to go because it's so violent it seems so violent, and it seems so. Misdirected. There's no direction you can go. You don't know what to do. And everything becomes so disoriented. But all you have to do is you just talk to God. You don't even have to do a big prayer thing. Just Shoot out that bullet prayer. When you call on his name, his name alone is power and authority. Abba Yahweh. Abba Yahweh, Abba Yahweh. What you are telling God when you do that, or you tell the Lord, and you Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You're letting our king know that you are indeed having weakness and you are acknowledging his strength. So you just you you go through. You don't stop and hunker down. Remember I shared this with you, goodness gracious, I think it's been a couple of years ago. But if you're walking through, God's walking through and he's holding on to your hand, you're going through the storm. Why are you gonna take the time to hunker down and pull your collar up and sit there and oh, 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 uh, whine and cry and bemoan the fact that you're stuck out in the midst of all that. And yet you're hunkered down there and you're getting drenched or soaked or, or wind blown or tossed. And the wind is so strong and violent that it wants to knock you over. But if you keep on walking, and he's going to shield you as you continue walking, and then before you know it, you turn around and you look, oh my goodness, that storm is, wow, that's way back there, Father. Thank you. So without altering your your pace, without skipping a beat, as, uh, as shared in my reading, You find the strength in His name. And when all that stuff gets out of the way, then you stop and you offer thanks, giving, and praise to the Lord, the God, and you have a more lengthy conversation with God. Then you enter into. An in-depth prayer time with God. God doesn't mind that. Remember, I've shared with you already the bullet prayers. Nehemiah did that when he went to Actic Circe. And the king asked him, he said, paraphrasing, what's your problem? Because he recognized that something was wrong because he didn't look like he normally looks. Just like when you look around some of these folks at are coming to the house of God and you would think that they're coming to worship and, pray. and, oh my gosh, the look on their face is so dour. They look like they're so, they're almost aggravated to be there. Really? Almost like it's a, a great effort for them to be there in church, in the house of God being there to worship the Lord God Almighty. It's this huge, powerful effort. It would be almost better that they not. They're in the right place, but they need to come and present themselves in the manner in which the Bible tells us we should. Reminded to we take each day as it comes because we don't have the authority to alter it. A lot of folks like to think that we do. And that's why their day planners are so chock full and why they're so irritable all the time. Because they want everything way out yonder that they have no control over and they really don't have any authority to. And they're actually involving themselves in sin because we are told that It doesn't belong to us. That that authority is God's. But we try to usurp that authority and take control ourselves. And we forget that God's love is always with us. I think that's in our... uh, in our adoption letter, let me—pardon me—I'm going to jump over here to Romans, and remember, I've shared this uh, the scripture with you before. Romans eight. eight. Uh, pardon me. Ah, Romans eight thirty-eight. The love of God. But here's some, here's some other things that you have to remember. Romans 8. This is our adoption letter and a very important place to be. Romans 8. It is very powerful because it is... It is that... Um, it's part of what's called the, the Roman road. There are certain books in Romans that or certain chapters in, in Romans said that um, in discipleship and teaching you share with people in particular because it has to do with very important directives and things for God, but Romans eight for me, and I put this in my sidebar, my adoption letter. And it's very important because in this adoption letter, it lets us know and reminds us of all these things that God gives his kids. Um, Romans eight twenty eight, very important. And we know that all things work together for good, for them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. If you are a true believer and you are a true Christian, not a label head and not a self-proclaimed, but a true believer, a true follower, and you love God and you seek his face, you seek his truth in all things, then all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Romans 8:28 Romans 8:38 For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, Paul being chained up and under house arrest was writing to the church in Rome. And those folks were right smack in the middle of, you could call it a malstrom. They had the Greeks on one side. They had the Romans on one side. Then they had the Jews that were claiming to be, but acting not accordingly. They weren't even following the written law. They weren't following the law of Moses. They weren't following the law of the gospels and teaching of Jesus. They were just basically doing whatever. They were worshiping false idols. They were doing basically what Israel was doing when they came out of Egypt. They wanted this and that, but they didn't want to follow the word of God and they were doing that and they were surrounding the church of Rome and they felt very much attacked so Paul wrote to them to try to encourage them but we have to remember too that as in Matthew 8.23 and 27 I'm going to share that with you And all these things that were going on, where are we going here? Let me get over here to Matthew. Oops, wrong marker, sorry. (laughs) Went to the wrong marker. So if we go over to Matthew 8, and we're going 23 through 27. Very important here. And when he was entered into his ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep. The waves were so large that it had covered the boat that they wanted, but they call it a ship. So we're talking about probably not one of the little fish, fishing boats that that Peter and his brother used to go out in. We're talking about something that would carry car. I remember I shared this with you before that the Sea of Galilee was known to, um, just because of the topography around it, that storms would come up and they were there was no warning, it would just happen. Well, the ship was covered with, with waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him And awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And what did Jesus respond? Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And then he got up. And he rebuked the wind. He just turned and he faced it and said, peace be still. The wind stopped. The sea calmed. The clouds parted. And then, of course, his disciples. and I remember to keep in mind that this was kind of early on with them. So, you know, the question first came up, wow, did you just see what he did? What manner of man is this? Well, they'd already seen that he had done some things and he had been teaching with them about their faith. But don't we do the same thing? We're told and we're taught these things, but don't we get all agitated when things get stirred up? And the waves get big and we get all agitated about things and then we forget that God promises to be with us wherever we go. Just like Jesus told them right there.
1: Matthew eight
0: twenty three through 27. And he said unto them, why are ye fearful? O ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that he even the winds and the sea obey him? He was the only begotten Son of the Lord God Almighty, the creator of all things, and that he had authority over all things. All things. All things. We're going to go jump over here back to the Old Testament. I'm going to share a couple spotted scriptures out here in in Psalm 11.1. In the Lord I put in the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul? Flee As a bird to your mountain. David is speaking to himself. What I tell myself, take off and run and hide. Put your trust in the Lord. This is what David is talking about. Don't run and hide, or as Ezekiel found and was shown by the Holy Spirit that the nation had declared that they had no hope and they threw themselves down and they gave up. They gave up hope. They hungered down. We have no hope. We just can't go on. We can't do this. But in that, in Ezekiel 37, we're shown and demonstrated that The word of God is there. He is with them. They gave up hope. So they became as a valley of dry bones. Bleach in the sun. And it says for, we have given up hope for our part. Just like when they went into the promised land, they saw themselves as grasshoppers. And they convinced everyone else that they couldn't do what God had promised them to do. So the nation had given up hope and they laid themselves down. They turned their back on God. They, for their part, God didn't go anywhere. God is always here. But for their part, very important that you, you pick up on these terms and phrases in the scripture, for our part, they did it. Brothers and sister, I'm telling you right now that we do most of all this stuff that goes on and you complain and people want to shake their fists and blame God for all these things that go on. But you take a look around, you pay attention to what's going on. I mean, you really pay attention to what's going on and you don't just listen to all the whiners and criers. You listen, you pay attention to what goes on. These areas and things that where these things are, you shouldn't be there anyway. And yet, there they go. And then you have on the, on the one side there, you, go, well, they don't have any choice. Got to go there. We don't have this. We don't have that. And yet it's the same old thing. Yes, you do. You do have a choice. You don't need to be building where all this is going to happen. You don't need to be there. And it's just like with the wild animals when they go out. I love this and it really actually irritates me quite a bit because. I was a uh, range foreman and my job was to protect because it was all protected in private land. So I would go out in the middle of the night and I'd go out walking with the bears and all the critters and we'd cruise around and make sure that the poachers weren't up there because many times they would come, they were getting paid a lot of money by, uh, sadly it was by the agents because they they had use for certain animal parts, but they only wanted those parts. They didn't want anything else. Now, some of the families and some of these guys that I would come across were taking food and they were feeding their family. Bear, bear is actually quite tasty, if you cook it right. A little greasy, but good. But sadly, for much of it, they would come and they would just destroy the animal for the body parts, the the organs that were used in special mumbo-jumbo potions. But I would go out and I would walk with them. In the cool of the evening I'd be walking around and taking care of them. But they had them coming out and they had them come out poaching. It was just, it, it saddened me. They had a choice. They didn't have to do that, but they they say, Oh, I have to, I can't do this, and I can't do that. There was always some way for them to do this. And then you have when you look in, in the other direction, you have people that are moving and going farther out into the wildlands. And they're declaring that these animals are invading their land, but they forget before they moved their house out there, before they bought into this big land sale conglomeration that's going on and taking advantage of all this and making money on things that they really shouldn't be. Before they moved their house, it used to be the bear's land. The mountain lion's land, the wolves, that was theirs. All these wild animals. And then they call the rangers to come out and destroy them. Oh, they're a rogue. They're coming in and they're doing this and they're doing that. They're rogue. They're rogue. Oh, look, they've got a taste for man. They've got a taste for man. You know what? That is a bunch of garbage because here's the thing that people don't understand. They fail to understand. We're in the food chain. We're not the apex predator that we like to believe we are. There's certain things that God gifted us with that we have deserted and leave out, leave behind, toss away. But we're in the food chain. I learned this in biology 1101 when I was in the fifth grade. We are members of the animal kingdom which means that we're in the food chain. It isn't a rogue shark that's gotten a taste for man blood. It isn't a rogue grizzly that's gotten a taste for man blood. It isn't a rogue mountain lion that's got a taste for man blood. That's all not true. They were hungry and they got food. Always remember and seek truth. Don't follow behind all these things. God always gives us truth. Always gives us truth. And here we find in, in Psalms again. In Psalm twelve, Help, Lord, for the godly man seeth us, for they faileth. For the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak of vanity. Every one with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and with a double heart do they speak. Two-faced. they going to tell their neighbor one thing, but they really mean something else. Don't be like that. Be hopeful. Be truthful. Be bold. Be courageous. Be upright in righteousness. Don't be confrontational, but always speak truth. Always speak truth. Period. Exclamation point. Anything else is an abomination to God. When you speak a lie, it's not good, and the Bible tells us that there is no lie that is acceptable. In Psalm thirteen five and six, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. In Psalm fourteen one and 2, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek me and seek God. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. That is the truth and the word of God. Seek him. I tell you to hear words shared, but to listen to the truth, and go to the word of God, our guidebook, our roadmap, our instruction manual, and seek his base. Seek his truth, his knowledge and his wisdom. Go to the word of God and seek him. So you understand that there is a difference between just looking for and seeking. You understand there's a difference, right? So when you seek something, you're very, there's a wholehearted effort at doing so. You really want to find it. You really want to find God, so you're really going to get in the word of God and you're going to look. But you're going to do so diligently. You're just not going to flip the pages to you there and say, oh, look, they mentioned God over here. God seeks to have a personal relationship with you and he wants to have that. So simply do it. And in Isaiah, it's a little bit different in um, Old Testament, New Testament, and there's speech, I'm gonna go. In Isaiah 43, one actually, And this is a really, um, this is an old phrasing and it's a, it's a, it's fairly common in the Hebrew that's used. And I'm going to flip over here. Uh, Oh, pardon me. Too far. Hebrew Bible. You got to understand too that it, it goes opposite of what we normally do. Up. Up, 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 up and now the said Hashim, Lord thy God, who created you O Jacob, who formed you O Israel, fear not, for I will redeem you. I have singled you out. By name, you are mine. Oh, Jacob, yeah. I remember that Jacob and Israel are the same. God renamed Jacob and called him Israel. And I'll share with you in a translation differently that's closer to the King James. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name. You are mine. And that being done, even before Jesus came, we're talking about the Book of Israel. We're talking about uh, uh, what is that? That's about. um, Sorry, I'm doing a little quick calculation of math here. We're talking about uh, we're talking about eight hundred years before the birth of Christ, our Redeemer, our Savior, and here is God telling Jacob. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Remember what that word, this, um, I can remember when I was younger that you have the word uh, redeemed. You had, um, um, what it means you bought or you paid it off. Or you cleared out any indebtedness by payment for it. Jesus did that when he came and he died on the cross. We couldn't do it by money. Um, He got us back. And uh, another definition is to recover. By giving himself for us. A trade-off. I remember we used to have a redemption center for the green chip stamps. Whenever you went into the store, they would click off this little wheel and they would pour out all these spirits. Oh, my mother loved those things. She loved that. She would sometimes I think she just bought groceries just so she could get her to spin the wheel and kick out all these stamps. And then I would take the time with my mom to sit with her and she had her little water well and she figured out this way to do it. So we didn't have to lick on the stuff because they glue is kind of after a while you get kind of woozy and, (laughs) <laughs> she figured out a way that we could dampen our fingers and do this. but, And then you took those stamps and you were able to redeem them for stuff. You took them to this, you collected them in a book, you went to the store, you gave them the book and they counted out and kind of the page and then you could get stuff. You could get bikes, you could get barbecue grills, you could get fishing poles and all kinds of stuff. Didn't have to pay any money, but I mean, ultimately, it was pretty cool. But a redemption center. God redeemed us. Redeemed us through the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember that that is all pay. There's nothing that we could possibly do to repay. Brothers and sisters, you are in my prayers going out and coming in every day. Be blessed.